0: Edward Gingrich was born into the Amish life, and he did not enjoy it. He tried to break free, but he lacked the courage. The lifestyle seemed to strain him and could be partially to blame for the depression he developed. Then the hallucinations followed, and the bizarre behavior. Not having access to Western medicine... Edward's mental health continued to degrade until he finally earned a title, most dubious, the first Amish murderer. Killing, missing, hidden, the podcast about bad things. Welcome, welcome, welcome into Killing, Missing, Hidden, your favorite podcast about bad things. Uh, As you can tell, I'm your overly charismatic host. Your old buddy Brad, former criminal defense trial attorney of moderate success, makes me perfect to host a true crime podcast, no? Well, it does. And you're listening. So here we are. Hope all y'all are enjoying life and coming into this episode with a smile. I certainly think today's case is an interesting one. I mean... The first Amish murderer. Seems like the marketing for that ought to just write itself, right? But I'll, I'll find a way to screw it up. If anyone wants to teach me how to market a podcast, I'd be down for that. Speaking of, uh, you know, something totally unrelated to what I just said. Quick shout outs are in order, right? Because we got some some new subscribers to KMH Plus. I don't know who we've mentioned on here who we haven't, so if you've been shouted out before, you're about to get shouted out again. But here's a list of folks that are good enough to support us and want to get some extra weird topics to fill in their their days. we got eight right now. That includes Alec, Grant, Denise, Joshua, Madhouse, Christine, Kathleen, and Cameron. So thank you all so, so much. If you joined since, since Cameron, I guess, I apologize for leaving you out of this episode, but I got to record when I can. I'm a man of modest means until y'all start paying me six or seven figures to do this. Um, beyond that, I'm not going to do any more banter because y'all know how much I love banter. So we're just going to get to this tale of woe. Enjoy! So I, I'm going to begin the episode by apologizing, which is always a solid way to start any bit of storytelling. Um, mainly just in case I'm making any errors, because I don't know much of nothing about the Amish community, their lifestyle, their beliefs. I, I've tried to learn a bit as part of this episode, but I still consider myself to be pretty ignorant of their culture. So if in the course of listening to this, you find yourself saying, well, Brad is just kind of stupid and he's kind of being hurtful in the way he's saying things. No, it's unintentional. It's coming from a place of admitted ignorance. Happy to be corrected if you'll send me an email. Uh, But I do hope I don't ruin this episode for anyone by being unintentionally foolish. So with that on the record, let's, let's get into this one. Now, not much is known about the life of Edward Gingrich. The Amish tend to be pretty private, so... There isn't much publicly available regarding Edwards' outside life, you know. Uh, We've just got this case, really. As a biography, all we know he was born sometime in 1966 in the Brown Hill Amish community on the Rockdale Township in Pennsylvania. And this was one of the old order Amish communities. You know, no electricity, telephones, motor vehicles, or even indoor plumbing. They focus on family, manual labor, and submission to God's will, and they try their best to shun anything that would take away from these priorities. For example, the whole reason telephones haven't been adopted from what I understand is they believe that conversations should be had face to face. Now, despite growing up in this fairly strict environment, Edward was a bit of a rebel. He didn't really follow the rules that regularly. Um, I mean, one could argue he didn't want to follow the rules. He was known to strive for more than what the Amish lifestyle could give him. But he was always dissuaded from leaving the community by his family. He also, frankly, just lacked the courage to break free on his own. And I don't say that in a uh, any sort of disgraceful way. He just wasn't prepared to go out into a world he didn't know on his own. But whenever outsiders would come through, Edward always took the chance to chew on their ear a little bit and learn what it was like living in the modern-day world. And he really liked learning about technology and other such devices. But, you know, his lot in life was to be a farmer. Now, he was not married to another member of the community, a, a young girl by the name of Katie. She was kind of well-known because she was pretty devout in her beliefs, you know, kind of the ideal Amish woman. She came from a family with 16 kids. She wanted her own big family. And the community thought she would be an excellent mate for Edward, you know, kind of help focus on the responsibilities that he had on the farm and things like that, rather than dreaming about working on automobiles and the like. But this this didn't really help. You know, Edward just continued to drift from kind of the core beliefs of the community and soon began experiencing symptoms of depression. Now, unfortunately, the Amish community, despite being really tight knit and close, isn't very knowledgeable about mental illness. And so Edward was really not never offered or given any help with his worsening medical condition. His despair was fueled by a non-Amish man named David Lindsay who built and owned a sawmill near Edward's home. Edward and Dave became friends, and Edward liked to visit Dave just to learn more about, you know, life outside the Amish community, what they called the English world. And Dave was happy to engage Edward in conversation. They got along pretty well. Uh, One thing about Dave Doe, he was a devout Christian, and he would preach Edward about sins and hellfire and brimstone and all that fun stuff. And basically said, you know, if if you don't get baptized in my church, you're going to die, you're going to go to hell, and you're going to burn for all eternity. And this got to Edward. Uh, Scared him kind of began to dominate his daily conversations, in fact. So we've got our buddy Edward here, unhappy with his lot in life, his belief that he couldn't escape it, and his, I say with quotations, friend, beating up on him, telling him he better change his beliefs or suffer eternal damnation. And we've got the first signs that Edward was suffering from depression and possibly other mental illnesses, so this was not a good situation. Not not good at all. Edward soon started externalizing his problems and basically blamed his wife Katie for everything. You know, the fact he wasn't happy was her fault in his mind. This soon, unfortunately, progressed to physical abuse. He was willing to hit Katie in front of their three kids. He would come up with these wild and baseless accusations that Katie was shitting on him with his own brother. He even went so far to claim the children weren't his. And he just started, in general, spending more and more time away from home, whatever excuse he could come up with. And this started to coincide with him slowly losing grasp on reality. And And when I say that, I don't state it lightly. He just began talking to himself and remembered things that never happened. You know, one could arguably say he went all out in, in his mental illness. He started, I mean, the dude started acting like a wolf. He claimed to be attacked by gigantic bunny rabbits, these monstrous night of the leapest things that would terrorize him. He stopped eating and drinking anything, no food, no water. He uh, one time jumped out of a second floor window and ran, causing his family to have to chase him down on horseback. His brain boiled, his skin crawled, and he said he could hear the battle between the devil and God for his soul. So he, he was doing pretty poorly. Now, Katie eventually was forced to take action and she decided to take him to a doctor to have these unusual activities addressed. And this this isn't something the Amish like to do. And this is arguably the saddest part of the story because there was a doctor that the Amish semi-trusted, or at least this community sort of trusted. Um, and so, you know, he was referred to as an English doctor. Basically anything... Anything not from the Amish community, they my understanding is they, they refer to the English world. So this was an English doctor, and like I said, time to time he would provide services for the community, but he wasn't really trained in mental illness. And I, I think, uh, well, here's his treatment regimen for Edward. Whenever Edward was having an episode and Katie would bring him in, this doctor would lie Edward down on the exam table, pop his toes, and then give him a spoonful of molasses. I'm I'm dead serious. Uh, so, you know, clearly this guy was not a psychiatrist. Shocking, I know. Um, he wasn't even an MD, really. He, he was, he may have been a chiropractor. There's some debate about whether or not he was licensed. Um, but basically he seemed like the sort of person who just took advantage of the Amish world's ignorance as a way to make extra cash. Shockingly, this radical course of treatment did nothing to help Edward. His hallucinations continued to get worse. It got to the point that Katie and Edward's family would have to subdue him and tie him to a tree like you would a dog just to protect him from himself. And the chiropractor-ish guy that continued, you know, to treat Edward, and he, you know, expanded the course of treatment from toe-popping and molasses to include scalp massages. I mean, they, they probably felt nice, but the massages were as effective as the molasses. And it's around this point where the community became involved, you know. And in the Amish culture, whenever whatever happens between a husband and wife stays between a husband and wife. You don't air anything personal outside of the household. But obviously, folks knew something was going on when they saw Edward chained to a tree and whatnot. So... And again, to a credit to the Amish community, they came together and they did what they could to keep Edward's farm going. So they would do their own chores and then they would kind of split up Edward's chores because the family needed the income that came from it, needed the food and whatnot that came from it. But beyond that, they couldn't do much more than just kind of pray for Edward. And, you know, again, sadly, I I could probably say that with every paragraph in this story, but. It wasn't long before Edward's actions became just so unstable that Katie had to call his brothers in. And they literally had to wrestle him down to the ground and hog tie him, throw him in the back of a carriage, and take him to the nearest emergency room. And my understanding is, like, this is absolutely the last result in the Amish culture. They do not want to deal with Western medicine in any way, but when they feel like it's this, you know, it's, it's deal with Western medicine or death, they will pick Western medicine. So when he got to uh, the hospital, he complained to doctors that his heart was loose and that he was drowning in the blood inside his body. Edward was placed in observation for a spell and eventually diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. He was given some very, very strong medication that, of course, had side effects, which primarily included Edward feeling like a zombie most of the time. And to his credit, Edward tried to work through life in this zombie like state and literally was work was all he could do. Um, he knew his family needed the income, the support, and so he would do his chores. But he just, he was so lethargic and so fuzzy-headed, he had a hard time completing them, so he quit taking his meds so he could do a better job on his chores. And he did do better for a little while, at least outwardly. But as days went on, he began kind of dropping back into his old routines, including visiting his good old, Christian buddy, Dave. Now, of course, we don't know what what Edward and Dave talked about exactly, but what is seemingly clear is that Dave was a very negative influence on Edward, and he continued to push his brand of Christianity on Edward, continuing to remind him that an eternity of hellfire and brimstone is what awaited him. And, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, he dropped a little hint in Edward's mind that Katie might be the one holding him back from his happiness. We don't know. That's just been speculated by some folks. But we do know that Edward turned on Katie pretty powerfully and pretty quickly. He insisted that she was an evil woman, going so far as to call her things like a demon and a witch, and that this was no longer his life. His wife, but an agent of evil dedicated to dragging Edward to hell. So, you yeah. know, dinner conversations had to be fun around this household. Uh, the situation came to a head on March 18th, 1993. Edward walked into the kitchen in the middle of a fit of madness. He was just screaming and yelling at Katie. You know, saying, look, you're keeping me here. You've locked me into this community. I don't want to be a part of it. I want to leave, but you won't let me. And, you know, she was just this giant albatross around his neck, and he was done. He was done with all this. He was done with this lifestyle. He was going out into the English world, and there's nothing she could do to stop him. And the, kind of the moment she tried to speak up, he responded by violently punching her straight in the face. She hit the kitchen floor hard. And called for her oldest, who was only six at the time, to go next door to get help. So this poor six-year-old boy has to run next door. And, you know, next door isn't like in our world where it's literally feet away. You have to run across the farm to get to a neighbor's house. Six-year-old gets there, and it's one of Edward's brothers is their neighbor and, and tells them, you know, daddy's hurting mommy. And so he comes rushing over. Um... When the brother arrived on the scene, he he just walked in on a nightmare. Just an awful, awful sight. Katie was lying kind of in the same spot on the kitchen floor, but she was lifeless. Edward had stripped her naked and cut into her with a paring knife across her abdomen. Through this incision, he had removed, her, removed all of her innards. Um He had apparently killed her by so aggressively beating her that her skull was literally smashed flat. And, of course, he's just absolutely covered in blood. Katie's body is covered in blood, and the other children in the house apparently witnessed the whole awful scene. Again, a last resort sort of thing, but obviously the Amish are not equipped to deal with this type of situation, so they called the police. Edward was taken into custody, um, and he was cooperative. In fact, uh, I think I read that when the police arrived, he was standing outside with his other kids just kind of waiting. He knew what was coming. ride to the police station, he was talking to himself. And he was quiet, but he was very passionate in what he was saying. He was just kind of rambling on about how Katie could still be saved. He needed some help, but he could still save his wife. When he was formally questioned by police at the station, Edward explained that he had begun his day by going to see that, that great doctor of his for a good old scalp massage. And then when he returned home, he and Katie got into it because they were on different sides of the issue of whether or not they were going to go to a friend's wedding. And that was kind of it. That minor disagreement set Edward into a complete rage. The Amish community, though, you know, generally they do their best to stay out of these affairs, felt like they needed their voice to be heard. And so after Edward was arrested and placed in jail, they wrote a letter as a community to the sheriff and asked that Edward never be released from custody again. They wanted the maximum possible punishment, basically so they wouldn't have to figure out how to keep dealing with this dude. Uh, Edward's case went to trial and it was a bit of a spectacle. I mean, again, this is the first time a member of the Amish community has ever been charged with murder. So you've got media coming from all over to watch the trial. Uh, Of course, the defense relied on the notion that Edward was very, very not well mentally and didn't really know what he was doing at the time he killed his wife. And prosecutors countered by saying, look, you can have a mental illness and still be, you know, no right from wrong. You can be in control of your actions. It didn't mean that he was legally insane just because he had schizophrenia. And the jury agreed with the prosecution. Sort of. They refused to find Edward not guilty by reason of mental defect. Instead, they found him guilty of involuntary manslaughter, but mentally ill. Now, this was new to me. I hadn't heard this approach to um, a jury's finding. You know, in Alabama, basically, we've got guilty, not guilty, guilty. And not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. In Pennsylvania, they've they've got this guilty but mentally ill thing, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh well, no, let's get into it right now. What what it basically means is they didn't buy the argument that Edward didn't know what he was doing when he committed the crime, but it's like a formal finding of fact, legally. That Edward was mentally ill when the crime was committed. And what this does is it affects how the judge can sentence Edward. And so it kind of lessens the amount of time, the maximum amount of time he can serve. And it also requires that the state provide him with psychiatric treatment during his prison sentence. So a very interesting approach. Now, because of this verdict, the judge sent Edward to two and a half to five years. I don't like states that do this. <laughs> I mean, I think you should know what your sentence is. That's one of the things I like about Alabama is, you know, you're found guilty of a class B felony. Okay, we're going to sentence you to 10 years. There's no range. Now, um, The reason for the spread, and I understand it, and all states kind of do the same thing, is Two and a half years is the earliest Edward could be released on parole. Five and a half years would be his complete sentence. Now, Edward, uh, he, he he served the entire five years, meaning he got released on March 19th, 1998. Now, Edward had received enough help in prison to know that he was in a really tough spot. You know, the Amish... Very fundamental in their beliefs, murder is not one of the things they're wild about, and they, you know, their approach is to shun murderers. Full stop. But the, you know, the criminal justice system had found that he wasn't truly a murderer. They decided that his mental illness was to blame for at least some degree. So the elders in uh, in Edward's community got together and talked about it, and they agreed that because of his mental illness. They would not treat this like a typical murder. And so they would not formally shun him from the community. Now, this decision was made after the verdict, but before Edward was released. And so it was one of those, at the time, everybody was cool with it. But when when they were facing the prospect of Edward actually coming back into their township, they all kind of regretted it. And he was... Not officially shunned, but he was not a very popular guy. Now, to Edward's credit, he tried to make things right. He did everything in his power to show his his family and his friends that he was trying his best, as impossible as the situation was under these circumstances. Um one of the first things he did was try to repair his relationship with his children. He had two boys and one girl. And, you know, the the boys who had grown up a lot during these five years were willing to talk to their dad and willing to, you know, they wouldn't warmly embrace him, but they wouldn't shun him. You know, they, they accepted him for what he was, I guess you could say. Uh, Both of them were teenagers, so they were a little bit more mature. His daughter, though, just absolutely refused to even meet with Edward. In response, again, Edward's doing his best to try to show that, look, I'm reformed. I'm better than the person who went in. There is actually an Amish mental health facility in Michigan. He moved there. He voluntarily submitted to their treatment. And he stayed there for a while. Again, he was released from prison in 1998. He stayed in that Michigan facility until 2007. So that's that's nearly a decade before he tried to come back home. Despite having done all of this, he still wasn't warmly received. Most folks ignored him. Some were obviously frightened by him. They... You know, there was a lot of talk throughout the community of, well, what do we do if he goes on another rampage? We don't have phones. We can't just call the police. And, you know, Edward did what he could to give the community some peace of mind. He made made it very obvious that he was receiving treatment from a psychiatric nurse who would come visit him. There was also a psychiatrist that would come by. I wasn't sure on the timeline, but it sounded like the nurse would come by once a week and the psychiatrist once a month. Both of them would check to make sure he was taking his medicine, and he was. They would give him a quick kind of mental health checkup, and he was doing well, all things considered. But it was enough. He just couldn't clean his hands in the eyes of the community. And Edward made some choices that didn't help. For example, he became very frustrated that his daughter wouldn't even speak to him. So he took upon himself to kidnap her one day. And not to harm her, just to force her to speak with him. But, you know, we live in a society with rules. And one of them is you can't just kidnap somebody because they won't talk to you. So the cops were involved again. He was arrested. He was found guilty of kidnapping, but they just placed him on probation. And despite doing everything that he knew to do with his limited knowledge of the world, Edward one day decided he just couldn't beat the demons that were living in his head. And on January 14th, 2011, he left the house and said he was going to go feed the horses. He went to the barn, and instead of feeding the horses, he killed himself. You know, after having not being seen, he was was looked for, and never said by whom, but he was found hanging from a rafter off the second story, lifeless. The bucket that he had stood on to complete his act, had written in the dust with his finger, kind of a short little suicide note. All it really said was forgive me, please. Well, that's our tale of the first known murderer in the Amish world. I believe there have only been three Amish murders in history. And, of course, this one's a very, very sad tale. You, you could tell that this could have been prevented with propical medical intervention. But, sadly, you know, the two biggest influences on his mental state were this was this quack pseudo-chiropractor and this nutcase religious guy, Dave, who did nothing but harm him. I mean, with the doctor, nothing needs to be said about him. I really hope if he did have a license, it was taken away after all this nonsense. Um, Dave, there really, really grinds my gears. You know, I—I I don't think I've ever tried to hide it. I'm a Christian. I know the Bible teaches that you're supposed to spread the good word, teach people about Jesus, and following his disciple making work. But to be blunt, Dave's an ass. <laughs> um, Everyone knew Edward was sick. I mean, the dude's being chained up like a dog, for goodness sakes. He has to be hogtied and taken to the hospital. But old Savior Dave here, he's going to try to scare Edward into leaving his community and joining Dave's. It's just disgusting to me. I mean, all these fire and brimstone sorts need to chill out and remember... If you read the Bible, Jesus used love, not fear, to build his following. He dang sure didn't take advantage of vulnerable people like this. And I I just have a feeling that if I met this Dave fellow, I I don't believe me and him would get along too well. So I apologize. I don't mean to go on a religious rant, but Dave there kind of needs a shovel to the face, if you ask me. I do find it fascinating That this was the first murder ever committed in the Amish community, and that it was due to a serious mental illness. You know, to to quote Gene Belcher from Bob's Burgers, my favorite show. I'm more of an indoor kid, so I don't think I'd really enjoy being raised Amish. But they do seem to do a fine job with creating a community, instilling good morals in their children, and. This is just a non sequitur, something I noticed that other criminal defense attorneys, at least, that I could speak to, always commented on. Obviously, only three known murders in the Amish community is insane. That just speaks very highly of what they do. There's not a ton of murders in the Jewish community either. So I don't, you know, it seems like maybe the rest of us could learn something from what they're doing when it comes to raising kids. But... Back on topic, Um, you know, that Pennsylvania sentencing scheme is interesting. Part of me kind of likes the fact that the jury can say, this dude, like, committed a crime, but he ain't well, and he needs some help, rather than just limiting it to a black and white decision of, you know, you're legally insane or you're not. The disadvantage, and this is completely colored by what I've seen working in Alabama and seeing what. The Alabama Department of Corrections can provide is how much psychiatric care can you really provide inside of a prison? Uh, you're placing a time bomb into a really stressful environment. You're you're actively making things less safe for other prisoners and the correctional officers. And, and I know I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to go over it again. You know, people view the insanity defense as a get out of jail free card. And it's not. It is the opposite. It means you are locked in a hospital room until psychiatrists have said you're no longer a threat to the world. And I think I'd rather have someone who is mentally ill be put into that environment. But there's no way I would want to go into that environment. um because there's no end to your sentence in the situation it is until doctors determine that you are no longer a threat and so you could be arrested for like in Alabama like a class C felony which has a maximum prison length of 10 years well they can keep you for 25 years if they determine it takes that long for you to become mentally healthy again and i mean in some situations that's what's needed and so i get it but just you know Rationally, I don't I don't want to be locked up in a state-run mental health facility for two and a half decades, you know? And they tend to be pretty conservative of making the call of when you're safe, because of course the last thing they want to do is release the guy and have him kill again. That just makes everybody look bad. I have no doubt that people would lose their jobs over that. You know, it, think about it. If, if the call was up to you, if you had a guy that had murdered before, he was in the hospital receiving psychiatric care, how eager would you be to let him go? And it's not a, I mean, this isn't a criminal justice question. It is, but it isn't. It's just, you know, you're taking responsibility kind of for the safety of the community when you make that decision. And, I mean, again, here I am, the liberal old criminal defense attorney. I ain't going to be quick to let somebody go um, until I am completely satisfied that they are well. Um, do, do you remember John Hinckley? He was the man that tried to kill President Ronald Reagan. And, you know, it's because of him that a lot of the insanity laws have been changed throughout America, particularly on the federal level. Um, He was under medical care for 35 years. And from what I can tell, our sentencing, this is using today's sentencing guidelines, not what was in effect at the time of his shooting. I'm not willing to do that much research. (laughs) But from what I can tell, under today's guidelines, the most he likely would have faced was around 17 and a half years in prison. If I'm reading the formula correctly, because that, that, the sentencing guidelines are just, they're like an SAT test from straight from hell. So insanity is kind of a tough one. You know, it's only successful about 25% of the time, but it's only raised in about 2% of the cases. So, you know, why we get so worked up about it, I don't really know. It never comes up when it does and it's applied. The dude almost always spends longer in in the hospital than he does in prison. But I'm kind of wandering off the path again. I'm I apologize. You know how I like to ramble. One message I do hope everybody takes away from this is, of course, this is a very, very extreme example. But, you know. Mental health is important. Otherwise, good and hardworking people can change due to mental illness. It happens, sadly, kind of regularly. I'm of the pretty strong opinion that at least in the United States, we need to do a much better job offering mental health resources. This will, in my opinion, help reduce crime because I can't tell you how many people I represented that did some stupid things, not because they were evil but because they had a, well, they had a different color sky in their world than I did. It's the nicest way I know how to say it. I think it would also help reduce, you know, the breakup of families, homelessness, drug addiction, things like that. I, I think it would be a net benefit to society and would keep us from wasting resources on other issues. But again, I'm not trying to talk politics here. I'm just showing you what I've observed From my years in dealing with the criminal justice system. Uh, I also think mental health should be discussed more. It has a certain stigma to it, a stigma of shame that comes with it. And, you know, I've mentioned it before, but I have a mental illness that makes my life hard for me. Um, You know, anxiety is the biggest thing I struggle with and mine isn't, you know, I'll, I'll admit that before, I was diagnosed with this. I thought anxiety just meant that you were nervous about things. Um, you know, I, I was ignorant too. No, mine is mine is so bad that my my doctors advised I go on disability for it. It's just not pretty when it hits me. Um and it makes me kind of useless. And it's sad, but um it is what it is, you know, I guess. And, you know, for folks out there that have a mental illness, please don't be ashamed by it. Don't try to hide from it. Get the treatment you need. And, you know, part of what I struggle with, and I've heard other people talk about they struggle with, just do your best to make your life fun. I mean, medical treatment is way far and away, number one. And there are certainly times where Fun is not something that you can even comprehend, but I've just noticed the more fun I can make my life, the longer I seem to go between having bouts of it. So, you know, that that's part of the reason why at the end of every episode, I tell you all to go adopt a kitten from the shelter or build a snowman. You know, you need to do stuff that helps you smile. Um, like our palate cleanser. That's just full of smiles and giggles. It's always the highest quality for you. Uh, so what we've got on tap this week, we're kind of breaking a guiding principle from a street as our joke is not directly related to this topic. I know, shock me, shock me, shock me with such deviant behavior, but I like this one because it's stupid. You know, every time I say I like this one, y'all are gonna grow, I'm sorry. What do you call a hippie's wife? How would you refer to a hippie's wife? Okay, you ready? Because it's bad. Mississippi. Yeah, Mrs. Hippie. Like the state, but m- Mrs. Hippie. Yeah. Yeah. That's gold, Jerry. Gold. Um. Before we depart, I do want to give a special shout-out to Nick Young. He's a blogger who did an awesome job summarizing this case and made my job telling it, structuring it, writing my script much easier. Uh, Nick is a female. Please check out her blog. She covers a lot of true crime cases. Nick Young, you can find her um, on the interwebs. You can, And I think she writes for Medium.com as well. So you can probably find her there. Thank you as always for listening to me cover a crime like an overly excited three-year-old. I I you know I, I feel like that's how I tell my stories, you know, it's like I listen to my kids and I keep waiting for the story to start and it just we circle and 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 then we get to a story. So I, I, I hope It's at least enjoyable for you in some fashion. As always, you know, we're like 12 or 13 reviews away from having 300 reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't given us a five-star review on Apple, if you could, we'd really appreciate it. Just breaking through those milestones are always cool to me. Maybe share us with your massive Twitter following your massive Instagram following. I don't judge your master or your massive uh, OnlyFans following, whoever would enjoy our show. You know, if you, again, you want to support us, you're not required to. We do try to offer bonus episodes to those that do. Um, But, you know, our platform Buzzsprout now offers that ability So I've put the links everywhere. Sadly, I don't have like a vanity type link where I can just say, oh, go to buzzsprout slash kmhpodcast.com. They've got a bunch of weird letters and numbers. I know, it's not great, but $5 a month and you get little short stories whenever I can work them into my schedule. I hope you enjoy it. And again, thank you to the, I mean, we've only had this thing for like a week as I'm recording this and we've already had eight people sign up. I just impressed because there's nothing I, I do well when it comes to promoting or advertising or convincing people to spend money on me. So thank y'all for for signing up and I, I hope to see more of y'all in the future. Okay. I'm uh been under the weather this week, so I'm kind of worn out from this episode. That's why I wasn't as chipper as I normally am, but my rambling's done and I'm just going to boldly end this one by declaring. My usual. Brad out. You survived another episode of Kellen Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.